This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we'll be talking with Arda Ozum, a structural engineer and founder of ACS Engineering that provides structural engineering consulting services to various clients throughout Canada and the US about how he developed the innovative product bolt rail to address challenges with wets to anchor bolts in concrete foundations. I'll also talk about the challenges he faced as an entrepreneur when launching a patented product and give advice to those who have great product ideas but are unsure about how to bring them to market. I'm your co-host, Matt Cardle, And I'm your co-host, Rachel Holland. Before we go on here, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Now let's jump into our conversation of the week with Arda. Hi Arda, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you do on a daily basis? Absolutely. I'm a structural engineer. I own a small consulting engineering firm, and uh, I've been doing that for over 25 years structural engineering. This year will be my 18th year in business as a structural engineer. In addition to that, I've got a patented product, a, a new construction tool that I've developed, and we are now in the early marketing phase of that business. I'm juggling two hats right now. And the bulk of our work from the engineering side is uh, commercial industrial design, and then this product is, uh, it's like having two full-time jobs right now. Like it's fairly, fairly busy, but uh, we're hitting trade shows and whatnot and meeting with people for this new product launch. Before we jump into the product, I know, I guess we bring up the problem first on what brought this about. I know there are some challenges associated with wet set anchor bolts and concrete foundations. Can you dig more and explain a little bit about that? The idea came to me because I was seeing a lot of problems on the projects that I was working on. And it seemed like every other project, we had uh, problems with anchor bolts that were not straight. So they're leaning over to one side. And it seems every concrete contractor keeps a steel uh, tube in their concrete uh, kit just to straighten these things after the concrete sets. And they, they go about doing it all different ways. And uh, just in one week, I had a number of projects go sideways where you know you, the structures didn't fit because the bolts were either not in the right place or they weren't uh, vertical and aligned properly. And when you can't stand the steel up, you've got major delays. And 
you know, I was seeing things like they'd have the little threaded part sticking out of the concrete and they don't want to damage the thread. So they'll throw three or four nuts on that and then they'll take sledgehammers to them. And, you know, at structural engineers, we know what happens to the steel when you start bending it, you know, you're cold working the steel and uh, it can get brittle, it can fracture. The more dangerous practice I was seeing, and I don't think, you know, as a structural engineer, I'd been working already in the field for a number of years before I clued into this. The more dangerous practice was that they wouldn't build a proper template. The bolts would be skewed when the concrete went in and before the concrete set, but after it had been vibrated, they'd come along and they'd straighten those bolts by hand. And so you drag the bottom part of the bolt through the concrete as it was stiffening up, creating a void. Yeah. And I didn't realize how common it was a problem until I started pursuing this, uh, this product idea. And uh, I was hearing it from all kinds of contractors and they, they know that they shouldn't do it, but they really don't know what else to do. And like, it has to be done. And, and they know that they're potentially compromising the bolts, but you know, it seems to be sort of standard practices, either move them a little bit while they're wet or try to bend them straight afterwards. And if you really get them wrong, you got to redo the pile caps or your flame cutting base plates to make things fit. And there's, you know, all kinds of problems with it. Anchor bolts are a very tricky last step as you come out of the ground. If you get the anchor bolts right, everything else falls into place. Last critical step coming out of the ground. If you get them wrong, you're fighting the rest of the project. I've seen all sorts of uh, tricky fixes from the structural engineering perspective in terms of, okay, they misplaced the anchor bolts or they bent them in the field and you see all sorts of funky stuff. So it's not just a problem for the contractors, but it also trickles down to us structural engineers as well. Oh yeah. Well, I think every one of us has at some point designed a fix or a an extension to a base plate with gussets and it's a common problem. So all of these different projects that you were working on where you're seeing these issues led you to this bolt rail innovation. Can you elaborate on what happened and how it led to the creation of bolt rail? If you want to know the story, it's kind of funny actually. I was uh, I got the idea when I was assembling a barbecue of all things. So I had a, gone through about a week or two weeks where I had a number of issues on ongoing projects that with anchor bolts. So, you know, structure not able to stand up and schedule delays, you know, because the steel erectors, they're booked solid. So when they can't stand the structure up, they basically say, you know, fix the problem and we'll come back. But we can't come back for six, eight weeks because we're booked solid, you know. And so we had these big delays and cost overruns and, you know, everybody's arguing and pointing fingers and just, you know, this, once you lose that schedule, it gets really chaotic. So I'd had a number of issues uh, and on one job, even some anchor bolt failure. So following this sort of chaotic little two weeks, my brother and I chipped in, we got our dad a, a barbecue for Father's Day. And so I was assembling this barbecue for him in the garage and I was pulling stuff out of the box and it wasn't the pieces of the barbecue that I was marveling at. It was all of the packaging that held all of the pieces in perfect alignment in the box. It was all made out of that heavy cardboard, but it had been pressed and formed into these shapes, same stuff that the Starbucks trays are made out of. And it was pulling out these pieces out of the box, looking at them, and they were perfect. It held everything in perfect alignment inside this box. You know, everything was in weird orientation to maximize the use of this box. And I'm holding these pieces of cardboard, this packaging, and I said to myself, I said, why don't we have something that would hold ink bolts in perfect alignment when we pour concrete? And in a flash, I got this idea, and I went running into the house, and I said, Dad, Dad, I get it. And I just started drawing it out. And I said, Dad, I got this idea. And my dad's an engineer, but he's a chemical engineer. You know, he said, you know, that's interesting. Uh, he said, I don't know your field, 
sounds really interesting. He said, you should go talk to patent lawyer. I use some, my dad has some patents uh, for chemical processes. I developed the idea for a bit uh, and then created some 3D models on the computer and stuff. And then I went and talked to the patent lawyer. But that's how the whole thing came about. I was seeing a lot of problems. And then just assembling this barbecue, having a few hours with tools in your hands, it was almost meditative. You know, you're always thinking about work and the next deadline and stuff. But then your mind starts to wander, you know, it kind of freed up this creativity, this building, this barbecue. And uh, boom, just the idea came to me and uh, off I went. I actually keep a book of ideas because I used to come out of my sleep with these ideas and I would jot them down and like some of them are pretty harebrained. But, you know, after uh, years of doing this, keeping this sort of journal of ideas, I would start to see some of my ideas become products like eight, 10 years later, somebody's actually selling that. And I told my wife, I said, you know, the next time I have a good one, I said, I think I'm going to try pursuing this, you know, because like people are making some of the stuff that I thought of. And uh, this one I felt was a good fit. It's, I'm in the industry. I work with a lot of contractors and so we decided to pursue it. What made you choose to be, I have all these ideas, but this is the one that I'm going to be focusing on. You know, you have a business, but you're going to start essentially another business and kind of put a lot of time into trying to get this patent out, this product out and engineered as well. So what specifically made you just go all in for these wet set anchor bolts and bolt rail? I know the industry and it kind of, in reflecting back now, I kind of realized that not always, but oftentimes innovation comes from when you know something very deep, you know it really well inside out, right? And structural engineering and construction, I've been in the business for a long time and I knew it fairly well. I was seeing so many problems with anchor bolts and I was seeing guys on site start to think about them, you know, there's no standardization, like everybody's doing something different to set their anchor bolts. And some guys are doing it really well, but when it's for those guys who are doing it really well, they're spending 45 minutes to sometimes an hour and a half or two hours to get proper template built. The guys who are doing it sloppy are counting on the fact that they're going to bend the bolt straight afterwards or flame cut the base plate. So I was seeing this issue where it's it's a labor intensive thing to get right and there's no real standardization. Everybody seems to do something different from company to company and from person to person. It requires skilled labor, which is lacking in the industry. And I just thought this product ticks all of those boxes. It's simple. It reduces labor. It's reusable. Imagine these guys, you know, the current practice of putting all of this labor into a single use template. You use it once, you pour your concrete and you throw it out. It's this is a lot of lost labor. And I remember the, for the very, very first field trial we did with the, the first prototype, we were setting anchor bolts on a pile cap in five minutes. And this was a task that was taking half an hour to an hour before to start from scratch with lumber cut, measure, assemble a template, get it in the right orientation, right elevation, et cetera. So that was sort of a, an eye-opener was that, that first field trial. We're like, okay, when we can do this in five minutes, this is going to change things. That's kind of when we went, okay, we're going to do this. The other little key to that was when the patents were approved. All of a sudden you go, okay, like I've got patents now. I'm Maybe this is another business, right? Maybe we're going to pursue this. But lots of hurdles and challenges along the way that I'm giving you the real like Cole's notes version of it, the sugar code version, but it's been a huge amount of work. Yeah. How exciting to be in that field trial and just be like five minutes, like this is it, this is the ticket. Well, it was interesting too, because uh, the guys who were setting the uh, bolts on that job, you know, just never used something like this before. You're videotaping the first use and you can hear them talking like, oh, this is so easy, you know, this is so easy. And I remember the guy, I didn't clue into it right away, but the guy who was setting it, was passed this cordless screw gun to another guy 
who typically wouldn't pick up a tool on a construction site. He was, that was his job, but it went so quickly and easily. He didn't even hesitate, just picked it up, put the screws in and they were done. Just took him minutes to do, right? So it was a very uh, big success. And that first product looked nothing like this final version. We hacked this thing together out of basically uh, OSB and cut it out and said, we just wanted to do a proof of concept. Like, did this work? How quickly would it do it? Would it hold things in place, et cetera? So it was, uh, looked very, very crude, but it was the first inkling of, yeah, hey, this works, right? This is a good idea. I spent some time in R&D, so I'm familiar like a little bit with that process. I can understand the the steps and all of that that kind of go into it. And it's very exciting when something works and you're kind of like, yes, this is going to be it. You know, even if it takes, you know, 15 more prototypes to get to the end game. But now that you've kind of told us a little bit about the backstory and your process to getting to this idea and this product, can you tell us more about the product in general? But can you also tell us more about how it addresses the challenges that you were seeing with those wet set bolts? Like, how does it work? It's a pretty simple product. It consists of a rail and it's got two supports and these supports rotate. And one of the supports actually just telescopes along the rail. So this one moves. And the reason for that is because every form is different, right? Depending on who's building it and depending on who's designed it. And we make this in four uh, different lengths. So depending on the size of formwork you're doing, you can get a longer one. We can easily span a four foot wide concrete pour. And we've done some custom ones that are longer. But basically this simple little device, sits over top of your forms and cinches up to the side of your form. So there's one support, right? And it just slides in. So you cinch it up to the support. On the end here, uh, we've got a sighting window, that little diamond shaped window. And then we've got some holes there to accept screws. And that diamond-shaped window is designed to catch survey marks. So you can mark where the center of the anchor bolts are going to pass through your form, on the sides of your form. And you just catch those pencil marks in that diamond-shaped window, set a couple of screws into the whaler or the plywood, depending on how you've built your form. And it sets this product in place. Now, these are pieces that hold the bolts. And you typically have two of them. And you can just position them where they need to go and set them in place with a couple of screws. So depending on what you're doing, you, you set these things parallel to one another. Two of these with these um, four bolt folders allows you to get just about any orientation of anchor bolt setting. If you're doing six or eight or 10 bolt patterns, you can just keep snapping these in to the rail when they're brand new, they're a bit tight. But so I can do you know, as many bolt settings as I need. I'm gonna just pop one of these out and show you guys something. Three common bolt sizes. So these guys will hold a three quarter inch bolt, or I can pop out one of these sleeves, turn that into a one inch hole or a one and a quarter inch hole. So I can do three standard bolt sizes in this thing without picking up a tool. It's always square, vertical, and true. You know, I can just switch between sizes. So they just kind of nest one inside one another. You get a little bit looser if you've used them a, a few times, but there's knobs on there that lock them in place. But right now they're quite tight because they're brand new. It's uh, made out of automotive quality uh, glass fiber reinforced nylon, so they're strong and stiff. It takes away all the, the labor of building a template. It takes away the cost of the lumber. We still say you gotta, you should still have like an experienced guy who does this for a living doing it, but we've had a lot of success with guys even who've never set anchor bolts before in their lives use this successfully. But it's a pretty simple little device. It's just a prefab template that's because of that adjustability, you can take it from one form to the other, right? So it's not a fixed static template. 
that gives you reusability. It's extremely robust. We make this out of an inch and a half uh, thick LVL. So one other interesting feature is they rotate, right? Basically, what that rotation allows is you can catch an edge on a form and get this in any orientation on your form because let's say you've got a column in the middle of the building and the base plate is going to be set below slab. The guy who's building that form doesn't care if it's necessarily square. It doesn't need to be aligned with the grid lines of the building. It could be skewed a little bit because it's just going to hold the uh, column up and then there's going to be slab port around it. So if you have a situation where your form isn't square or it's not aligned with the grid lines of the building, this tool still allows you to very quickly and easily get your anchor bolts in the right location. So it's very, very simple. After you use it a few times, it becomes very intuitive. You have it in three different lengths and you've done some as customs also. Yeah, so we make it in four standard lengths. So uh, 26 inch, 33 inch, 45 inch, and 55 inch. And then even within those sizes, you have that flexibility of the one that moves in and out? Absolutely. So as long as you get the one that's longer than your maximum form width, you can always cinch this down to whatever you need it to get down to. When you're pouring the concrete and you're trying to set all your anchor bolts, do they use like multiple of those on a job and then they pull them all up later and use them on the next job? Yeah, exactly. What we've seen is like on a small job, they might just buy 30 or 40 of them and then use them. But on a job where you've got multiple pours, they'll buy 50 or 100 of them. We saw actually a, a, an internal spreadsheet that was sent to us by a company that used it. And they were doing a cost comparison of this versus what they were doing before. And they had the initial purchase price of the bolt rail, use one. And then, so they used it on the first pour. And then when they were done pouring, they took them off of those pours and then went, set them up over and over again. And then in the spreadsheet, you can see second use free, third use free, fourth use free, but they're also eliminating huge amount of labor. They had budgeted an hour per pile cap to, you know, start from scratch, measure, cut, assemble these templates, position them in the right locations, et cetera. They were down to about seven minutes of pile cap. So there was a huge labor savings. And then also every time you reuse this, you're also eliminating the lumber that goes, you know, with it. And there was a while there, you know, feats of plywood were a hundred dollars there for a while, you know, and like to, to cut feats of plywood to make a single use template, just make a lot of sense. Right. Some guys will take good care of it. Like you can, right before you pour, you always have to protect the threads on the anchor bolts anyways. And so whether you're wrapping the bolts with tape or some poly plastic sheet, heavy sheet. You can put that over top of the bolt rail as well and keep the concrete off of it. Or once you're poured, just brush off any concrete that might be on it and get multiple uses out of it. What we're hearing is that with a single use, it's about equivalent in cost to what's happening now, but saves a huge amount of labor. After two or three uses, it's more than paid for itself. Uh, some guys are getting seven to 10 uses out of them. They, they take good care of them depending on how they're pouring and where the concrete's going into the form and stuff. So uh, it's proving to be quite a uh, time and labor and, and cost saver, cost reduction. So, And then not to mention all of the back end, you know, that they're not getting poured incorrectly. So you don't have to pull everybody else in for a fix after the fact. Yeah, that's the other thing. You know, it's been interesting because, I mean, this is very, I mean, we've been marketing this thing for about 12 months now, and we've already had uh, several jobs where we've been told that had it not been for this product, they would have had to cancel the pour. We had one company use it on a, on a remote site and they didn't get access to the site because other trades were doing stuff and they had two hours to pour, set up eight pile caps, small job. It was an equipment platform. 
they finished putting up the forms and bracing them to the ground and the concrete showed up. And if they were building templates from scratch, that would have been a canceled pour. They just, the concrete showed up and they hadn't even built a single template, but they were using this. They were able to keep ahead of the concrete pour with bolt rail. So a few minutes per pile cap, while that pile cap was being poured, they were able to set the next one. While that pile cap was being formed, they had set the next set, set of anchor bolts in place and stuff. It was that fast. So we had another job. Uh, they had budgeted two days to set anchor bolts on that job. They were done on the first day before morning coffee. They went from two days to about two hours. We've had some great successes with it. Yeah. And this is sort of very initial, uh, you know, phases of the product launch. So been great. For our listeners listening on their audio podcast and can't see it, uh, we are going to include links so you can take a closer look at it. But just to explain it from what I see it, it looks like it's uh, two, one and a half, one and a half LVLs. And in between them, you can insert these anchor bolt templates and shift them left to right so you can position them wherever you want. And then at the ends of those rails, they have a locking mechanism where you can attach it to the formwork and it seems like you can level it as well. So it's really flexible in terms of what you need. It seems almost like whatever anchor bolt template you want, you can just make it out of this because everything's adjustable. The idea was kind of to create something that was either ready to use or with very little bit of modification would solve your anchor bolt setting uh, needs. So one of the things, this one sliding pier, I can set this wherever I want and screw it to the rails. And then I can cut off the excess and create a bolt rail custom length in the field very easily. And then you can flip these supports around and then drop this inside your form as well. So there are situations where, you know, the forms go up past the higher than the concrete pour, and they'll put a wooden ledger on the inside to support hand-built site-built templates. This thing can be very easily modified on site to a custom length and be slipped inside the form and still have the, all the advantages of the adjustability and the speed. We had one job they made a mistake. The guy was measuring the locations and, and it just installed it in the wrong location. It took us about two minutes to fix it. Because all we had to do is undo a couple of screws, shift it, screw it back in, and we were done. If that had been a site-built template, you know, imagine trying to drill a one-inch hole that's half of an inch off of an existing one-inch hole, right? So if you've made a slight error in, your, in building your template, it's very, very difficult to drill you've got some oblong hole that's not going to hold your bolt upright. Well, with this system, it's very simple to make on-the-fly adjustments or if perhaps maybe a form shifted a little bit. So when you're doing that final quality control check, this gives you a very, very rapid way of adjusting small mistakes and things like that. Yeah, the versatility of it is really impressive. You know, we've got a website, boltrail.com, but we're also, we've got a YouTube channel. We're on Instagram as well. We're on LinkedIn. So if any of your viewers are interested, uh, we're always adding content and the website has quite a bit there. And then, uh, yeah. And if anybody wants more information, they can always reach out to us through the website. Arda, I wanted to talk to you about maybe some of the behind the scenes on, yeah, you got this product, but what went into it? What were some of the biggest challenges you faced as an entrepreneur when you were launching a product like Bolt Rail? I think initially, and I should have known better because, I mean, starting an engineering firm was not easy. It was a lot of work. There was a lot of 16-hour days for a few years there in the beginning. But when I got the idea, I thought, man, this is so simple that one, there probably somebody's already patented this. I'm not going to get a patent on it was my first thought. 
And when I did a patent search on my own, I didn't see a patent related to this. I thought the other thing was that I thought was, man, this is so simple. I'll have this out to market in two years. And that wasn't the case. So it took some time to like develop the idea and get it to sort of a final version. We approached a patent lawyer and he wrote patents and then we applied for the patents and, and we actually got the patents fairly quickly. There was nothing to contest the idea. So that was great. And But by the time the patents were granted, three years had passed. And there was substantial costs involved with sort of that development and, and even the patent costs were not inexpensive. But then we went through four years of prototyping. And, you know, once you have the patent, you're like, you know, you're like, okay, I've got potentially a business here, but you know, let's try it. Let's do, oh, and hey, we could do this, we could do that, right? So there was this four year long period of consultations with the industry, field trials and testing and things like that. So we really sort of finalized the nuances of the design. And it looks very simple, but there was a lot of thought put into this product and you don't, until you start using it and you get the full understanding of all the features that are designed into it, then you start to go, oh yeah, like this wasn't just off the cuff. There's, there's a lot of thought put into it. So that was unexpected. The number of hours that went into prototyping and, and everything like that. Once we had gone through that phase and we finalized the design of it, the next big challenge was getting it into production, getting injection molds cut. These are not things you think about when you go, hey, I've got an idea. I'm going to start a new business, right? So that was a challenge. That wasn't inexpensive. And then, of course, we had the injection molds cut and we're ready to make product. So that's something that we couldn't foresee either. So we basically had to park everything for two and a half years. We had a pretty strict lockdown up here in Canada. So, And it was only when the pandemic was lifted did we really start to like hit trade shows and we were able to get it in front of people. Now, we did do some marketing online and we did have companies order some product through the pandemic years and, and use it. So we were still kind of trickling along after we'd had our injection molds done. But uh, these were all challenges that you know we had to overcome. I guess the big thing is when you start a business like this, you don't realize the costs involved from jumping from one phase to another. And getting this thing into production feels like you've climbed a mountain. But when you look at the marketing aspect of what's ahead of you, you realize you've just made Basecamp 1. The mountain is still ahead. We went to World of Concrete uh, just this past January. It was really exciting because we had people who had seen the product online from other countries who came running up to our booth who were like, I specifically came here because I wanted to see this product. We're getting international interest in it, which is really exciting. What is that total timeline then? To get it into production, seven years from idea. Hey, I have an idea. And then, you know, to get into production was uh, seven years of free labor. <laughs> it's exciting to do something that nobody's, uh, you know, thought of and done. There was a lot of uh, intrinsic rewards. And my father's an entrepreneur. My brother's an entrepreneur. It's kind of what I've seen in my family. I've seen work ethic. It's just something I grew up around. So you, you never look back and go, geez, I wish I hadn't done this. You're always looking forward going, what's the next step? How do I achieve this next goal? In my younger days, I was in competitive sports and there was a lot of goal setting. Like all those things in your life, all these things, experiences you have kind of shape where you go in life, right? And so I had experiences behind me that sort of, you know, if I work hard, if I set goals, if I set out a plan, I can achieve this, this, and this, right? So it's been always looking forward and moving to the next step, to the next step. And so. Most of the people that listen to this show are engineers, right? Similar to us. And all of us are faced with like field conditions that are not necessarily how we needed them to be right for our design. So, you know, it's not uncommon for us to have ideas, but to take it to the next level is usually where everybody sort of stops. Right. So 
what advice would you give to someone who thinks they have a great product idea and they don't know what to do with it? What would you tell them to do or suggest? Just prepared for the amount of work that's involved. And the one thing that I underestimated was the costs of launching this. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs and, and business people make this mistake. This was more challenging than starting an engineering business. So I think those are the big things is that you have to be ready to put in a lot of time and effort. And I mean, there's no guarantee that any business is going to succeed either, right? So you are taking a chance. Like We got to a point where we were lucky. We got a little bit of assistance from a program that the government puts out that helped us jump the product into production. So there are programs in place if you have the right idea and you're willing to go through the weeks of uh, applications. Uh, we were able to benefit from a little bit of funding. Those are the two big things is the amount of time. It's way more than I ever imagined it would be. And the costs of it were much higher than I ever thought uh, it would be. So if you're launching a business, you have to make sure that that funding is there. That can make or break you. Most people know that, right? So I suspect, but those were the two big surprises. I'm picturing you on like Shark Tank. Did you think of doing anything like that? Or you just did the one thing with the government? We have a business partner as well who stepped in. Uh, so we got to a point where we got it into production. We're making product, but when you find out how expensive it is to market this thing uh, globally, then you get to a point where you're like, do I have the money or do I take the loan out or are there other programs? But I was in a, a fortunate situation. I had an investor who wanted to get on board and was very supportive. And so I have a business partner who's been helping out with that marketing aspect of it. What were some of the most important lessons that you learned that you think others could benefit from? If you believe in the idea, you just got to keep moving forward. Certainly along the way, there were some people who were discouraging of it. Other people, like we manufacture this in Canada, right here actually in our home city of Edmonton. Actually, a lot of the lumber we use comes from the United States. So this is an interesting North American product. There was a lot of people who were recommending that, you know, have it manufactured offshore. And there was a, dozens of countries that said, you know, you could have this made cheaper here or there. But the ability to make it here, if there's a problem, to be able to sit down with your manufacturers and have a discussion or your suppliers and there was huge benefits to that. And also we were trying to do something that would benefit our local economy as well. We were very focused on making this a North American product. So it's a huge amount of work, any businesses, but something like this was really quite a lot of work. Don't underestimate the costs involved. Those would be my two main takeaways. Speak to everyone and anyone you can, because, uh, you know, there was a lot of things during the development of this where, you know, we're like, oh, I got ideas from every time we did a field trial, uh, every time we made a prototype, we improved things, right? So, and ideas would come from all over the place. You, know, you got to be open to all of that input as well. Definitely a success story in, in entrepreneurship, which I really appreciate. If you were to give advice to somebody who is interested in pursuing a career in entrepreneurship or starting their own business, you know, typically with an engineering background, what would you suggest to them? And it, you've definitely hit home on hard work and potentially lots of money, but what else? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. There's a lot of rewards to owning your own business, but there's also a lot of sacrifice. So between the two businesses, uh, you know, I work a lot. And over the years, I've put in a lot of time and uh, you have to be ready to be engineer. You have to sometimes be the accountant. Sometimes you have to be the lawyer. I mean, even though you have an accountant and a lawyer, sometimes you're putting on those hats. There are times when you're the janitor. You're doing a, a lot to get a business off the ground. It becomes your baby, right? You've put all this time and effort into it. At least the way I'm wired, it even though it's a lot of work and some sacrifice, 
you can't go back to being an employee after you've been an entrepreneur. Uh, once you've been your own boss and once you've run your own company, there's no, that the path back is for most people and myself as well, it becomes almost impossible. I just love being the problem solver, the guy who sometimes works through the night to meet a deadline for somebody on, you know, I love being the guy who thinks of a, a great solution to a problem and saves the client a lot of headache or finding something that everybody else missed, you know, those are the sort of things they get excited about. If you're dedicated and, and hardworking, you're willing to do it, I would recommend it to just about anybody, but you're going to make sacrifices. Yeah. Maybe bigger sacrifices, but sweeter rewards, like comes at a cost, but. There are advantages in, to owning a business. Certainly it's not for everybody, but for those that want it, go for it. It's great. Thanks so much, Arda. My pleasure. It's been fun. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 104 as well as links to any of the resources or websites mentioned during the episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.